Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. So, week one, we talked, we didn't even get into the book of Philippians, we were in the book of Acts, and the first time you notice there is how Paul was led to Philippi. And if you'll recall, the, the Spirit of God shut doors for him to go to Asia multiple times, right? He shut the doors for him to go to Asia and gave him a dream um, to go to Macedonia and to, um, to, to make sure that the gospel is preached there. So the, the one thing I want to draw our attention back to, it's the next line under week one under your notes there, is the, the Lord directs the steps of those committed to him. The Lord directs the steps of those who are committed to him. I can't tell you that the Lord directs the steps of everyone, because those who are not following him, he's not going to direct their steps. And even if he does give direction, they're not going to obey. The key here is to have a heart and a night and a mind of obedience so that when he closes the door, we don't uh, we don't kick it open. I heard a, a wildly incorrect statement by a very prominent worship leader this week. He said this, when God closes the door, sometimes he wants you to kick it down. No. I don't find that anywhere in the Bible that we all read, right? Where God closed the door and he said, I'm doing this to build something in you that will challenge me when I tell you no. Mm-mm. We're supposed to go no and then move on to the next thing. Do not try to kick that door down. If it does fall and he closed it, what's behind it is not going to be good for you. It's not like the old school, let's make a deal, right? I'll take what's behind door number one. You know, like the, it's not going to be a prize. It's not going to be a car or a camel or whatever else is behind that door. It's not going to be something good for you. If he's closing it, there's a reason for it. And so he is directing the steps of those who are committed to him. Week number two, we talked about Paul's commitment to the Lord. <clears throat> and when we're talking about commitment, we're just not talking about, yeah, I'm rolling with him. I got my Jesus t-shirt on. I got my WWJD bracelet or whatever. What I have is, none of those things are wrong inherently, but it is beyond those things because Paul compares serving the Lord to voluntary slavery. Those are his words. Voluntary slavery. It's next time you know He is willfully stepping in to a life of servitude to the ultimate king. He is volunteering to be used. And I want you to hear that phrase. Everybody sing that old song, you know, in church. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. And then you get used and you go, this is building being used. You asked for it, bro. Right? Like you said you wanted to be used. God's going to use you in whatever way he sees fit to um, be salt and light to the earth, okay? So he's talking about voluntary slavery. He is willfully knowing that he is going to give up the rights to himself and pursue what the Lord wants to do. Week three. We learned that the city of Philippi was created for retired members of the Italian army. Retired members of the Italian army. These were hardened soldiers. These men were fighting for the king. They actually believed that the Roman emperor was a god. He was divine. He was a deity. They worshipped him and served him as if he was a god. So when all the retired guys in that city 
have that belief structure, and then Paul goes, go tell them about Jesus, and tell them who laid down their lives and are missing limbs and have scars and limbs and, and, and things that have marked and marred their body. They've lost friends in the service of the king because they believe he's God. Go tell them, no, bro, all that was uh, in vain because your God is not the right God. And see how that turns out for you. They were, they, they were dealing immediately with the understanding of, oh my gosh, if I go tell them that the emperor is not the king, and Jesus Christ, God Almighty, the God, uh, God Yahweh, is king, there's going to be some repercussions. And what we drew out of that was right under the next line is, standing up for the gospel will become more difficult. It will. It happened in Philippi, and it's happened in every single culture in the history of mankind since Christianity, and it will happen here. Why? Why is this important to understand? Why is it important that we stand against the culture? Because just this week, um, a very prominent researcher released his information on a study he does in the United States every few years. The percentage of Americans who have a true biblical worldview, not just believe in God, not just believe in Jesus some good guy, not just believe in the little basics, but the true biblical worldview about how you're supposed to live your life, the Bible is an area, it is the word of God, it is perfect, it is um, the thing, the standard by which we live our life, and everything in it needs to be followed even to this day in this culture. The number, the percentage of people in America as of this past week, the latest research, 6%. 6%. That means the culture is having more influence on the church than the church is having on the culture. Because uh, eight years ago, it was 12%. Not like 12% is in your right home about, but it's decreased by 50% in less than 10 years. It will become more difficult, but we have to maintain our goal. Week four. <clears throat> Paul was consistently chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard. I'll spell that word. P-R-A-E-T-O-R-I-A-N. Praetorian Guard. And the Praetorian Guard were special members of the of the um, Italian army that eventually went up and advised the emperor. So even though he was sitting there in chains, shackled to these men, he was preaching the gospel to men who would have the seeds of belief sown in them that they would carry eventually to the emperor's throne. What we learn in the middle of that is, next line, God is working in the midst of our difficult circumstances. We hate pain. We hate the suffering. We do not like it. I do not want to participate in the hardship of this life or the hardship that happens in my life because I'm a believer in Christ. But God is working through those hardships to promote his gospel. So be faithful even when you don't understand, even when there's pain for obeying Jesus. Week five, Paul expects and hopes to never be ashamed of the gospel. Those are his words. He said it in a very interesting way, I thought. He expects and hopes 
like I don't expect that to be ashamed, I hope I'm never ashamed, that means that there was some uh, a realization that he was a human being that had the ability to screw up. The next time you know, it reminded us that we are capable of terrible, terrible behavior when our hearts are not submitted to Christ. We talked about that. The culture wants to celebrate us. You're capable of everything. You can do whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you like, or whatever the song is, right? Like, you can do it all. You can just go out there, and you can drag yourself up by the bootstraps, and you can go make something of yourself, and you can be your own savior. Mm, that's not what Paul says. What you're truly capable is destroying everything you touch. That's what we're truly capable of. My heart is capable of jealousy, anger, lust, frustration, hatred. Why? Because when it's not submitted to him, when it's not submitted to God, I do whatever it is I want, and my heart is ultimately depraved and wicked. I can't follow me. I gotta follow me. Week six, Paul reminds us that we are citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. That means that you, your number one priority is not the country you live in here on earth because it's temporary. If we're citizens of heaven, that means, next time in your notes, our goal is to live on earth as Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador represents the nation from which he came. So anywhere you step foot, you are representing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, not um, trying to blend into the culture so much that people don't know the difference if you're a savior or not. The goal is to reflect him, to, yes, obey the laws of the land, but hold yourself to a higher standard, the standard of heaven, and be an ambassador on the earth for the gospel. Because you're not a citizen here, you're a citizen of Week seven, Paul asks four questions. We're not going to go through those four questions, but we're going to focus on one statement those questions led us to. We are to use our gifts to serve God and others. That means that our gifts are supposed to be used to serve him first, brothers and sisters in Christ second, and then the world. It does not say bring your talents into the local 501c3 organization that we call Rich Community Church, and this is where the end all be all, the beginning and the end of your serving ends. You are supposed to serve here, but we're here very rarely, only once a week, for maybe an hour and a half, two hours if we're eating. Well, two and a half hours if we're eating, right? We got to We're here for two and a half hours, and we're hanging out, and we love every bit of it but we are not supposed to just reflect light to other people who are reflecting light. We're supposed to go into the world and carry the message there and serve them with the heart that loves God. And when they see the difference, we tell them how to be different. Paul admonishes us to work hard to show the results of our salvation and obey God with reverence. One of the things that drew our attention to that week was the next time you notice, fear of God is not being afraid of Him, but showing Him a deep sense of awe. Showing a deep sense of awe for our Lord. 
in that same Barna research poll, um, more than 40%, I think if I remember right, I'm, I'm struggling to get the number off the top of my head, but a very significant number of Americans believe that God was just waiting to punish you for what you did. He's basically a guy with a paddle going, oh, you messed up so I can smack you. Or he was completely distant. That's not the God that we serve. The fear that we have is not that he's going to punish me and send me to hell if I do wrong. The fear we have is an immense sense of awe and reverence that even though I am as wicked as I possibly can be, he is the exact opposite, holy and perfect as he can possibly be, that he still reaches across and offers me a way to be reconciled with him through faith in Christ. Week nine. Paul shows us that God will change our desires. He will change our desires. Next line goes. God transforms our old selfish desires into new desires that will satisfy the purposes of God and shine the light of the gospel to the world. When we are submitting our life to Christ, Paul reminds us that, hey, all the things you wanted to do when your when the root of your pursuit of your of your life was in your fleshly motives and self-indulgence and self-proclamation and self-reliance, all of those things will fade away when you stop relying on you and put your faith in him, submit to him, all the desires change. And I thought God gives you the desire of the of your heart. He does. He gives you the actual new desire. He doesn't just sign off on everything that we want to do. Because why we want it typically nine times out of ten, and maybe closer to 9.9 .9 out of ten for me, is it's because I just want it for me because I want it and I want to live it. But Paul says, no, there's a new desire birth in our hearts when we truly submit to God. Week 10. Paul writes about his companions. His companions. Next line, I know it's God, uh, godly friends who encourage us to continue following Jesus, even when things are difficult or a blessing to us. A huge reason we show up in this room and we build relationships is so that we, when we are in moments of struggle, we have someone to trust who's on the same wavelength as us, the same belief structure as us, the same pathway to following Christ and submitting to him as us, where we can walk in and be like, hey, I'm struggling with this, I need some help. That is a design by God to help sustain you through your life and through your struggle. You're not supposed to be like, I'm just going to tough it out over here on my own. No, he gave you his spirit and he gave you fellow believers to help encourage you to do that. Week 11. Paul tells us to safeguard our faith. He tells us to safeguard our faith. Remember that word safeguard wasn't to protect it because it was fragile. It is use it as a foundation to lean upon. It is something that can be trusted and will not fail as long as we remain faithful in him. Jesus will never fail us. The next one here is we don't follow the old law of circumcision to earn salvation through following the rules. We stand confident that God gives us salvation 
through our faith in Jesus Christ, in it can be trusted. We twelve. Paul instructs us to press forward, press forward in our pursuit of Jesus. He doesn't say stay passive. He doesn't say just believe and just sit there. He says to press forward. In the next line, he notes and says, "We do not keep the old life alive by focusing on it and trying to prevent our old wounds from healing." We talked about are we focusing constantly on the terrible things that have happened to us, that the terrible acts of other people that have scarred us or wounded us. We talked about not keeping those things alive by by giving them life, by allowing our attention, our creativity, our mind, our thoughts, our emotions to be wrapped up in all of that old stuff. We have to press forward. Week 13, Paul points us to unity. He points us to unity. And we talked about unity is not meaning that we put like a whole bunch of things on a piece of paper and we have to agree on every single one of them. We talked about primary issues and secondary issues. Now we to the next point here on our, on our notes. Believers can disagree on secondary issues and still be in fellowship with other believers. The primary issue is what? One God, his name is Yahweh. His only son, Jesus, died on the cross, buried in a tomb, resurrected three days later. Faith in him is the only way to heaven. That is the primary, the primary core of the gospel. If you differ on those things, me and you probably can't be in real close fellowship. We could be friends and hang out and grab dinner or something and laugh it up about the, you know, the sons. Go sons. Yeah, I'm a Laker guy, but the sons are really counting. I'm here in Phoenix, so go sons. Sergio's happy about that back there. Uh, all the club rights are, all of them. They all sat around an iPad last night in the airport with one of the late flight to make sure we watched that game. It was ugly, but they won. Hallelujah. Right? So, but we can disagree on secondary things. The age of the earth. Should you drink or not? We talked about those things being secondary issues. You can disagree on some of those things and still be in fellowship as long as we're respectful and we're being mindful of the other people that we're dealing with. Week 14, Paul gives specific instructions for settling a dispute. Settling a dispute. And the, the point we draw down next time you notice is commit to be peacemakers and not allow division to grow in our hearts and our core church fellowship. Talk about if we're, if, there's a, if we're at odds with somebody, we should, Paul actually says, I pray that the Lord will bring it make it clear to you and we'll settle the dispute. The next week, he went one step further than that and talked about actual people being the people. Our guy Sai, remember him? Sai, I guess, the funny name. Our guy Sai, being like him to step in when the Spirit of God directs us to help settle disputes. Week 15, Paul teaches us about true strength. About true strength and not a perverted cultural idea of strength. But the next line in our notes is that we learn not to take Philippians 4, 13, 19 out of context. That you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. No, you can't. That's not what that verse means. But you can do whatever you want. God can give you the power to accomplish it. There is a specific purpose and context for that passage. We talked about, how do we talk about reading in context? What's one of the first things that we should do? Anybody remember? 
Do it. Go back. Go back a couple verses and read into it. And ask it. Yep, the, the wife got one and the husband got the end. There you go. That's the king cup right there. See, the sun fan are winning all around here today. <clears throat> so that's right. So we don't just take a little verse and just apply it however we want to, like trying to put, you know, um, itching ointment on a gunshot wound. It doesn't work, right? And you just can't apply it that way. We have to find the correct context of what's being taught us. Okay? And now that brings us to our last week, week 16, which is this week. And I recap all of that for a reason. Week 16, this week, God will put us in the perfect place to accomplish his purpose. God will put us in the perfect place to accomplish his purpose. Okay. One of the things that we talked about probably a year and a half ago, which if you were here, you probably don't remember it, um, just statistically speaking, maybe I'll jog your memory when I go over a couple of these little things, but the, the majority of you probably weren't in the building when I talked about that, so I'm going to read, I'm going to refresh it because it has to do with the book of Philippians, okay? <clears throat> the city of Philippi was in the area that today we know as Greece, okay? It was conquered by the Romans, the Roman Empire was vast, it was massive, lasted 400 years, broke into smaller chunks, but for the better part of 400 years, Rome ran the world, and you did what they said, and if you did it, they made sure you did it anyway, or you were not alive to challenge them any further. Their goal was not justice, it was calm. So if killing a troublemaker unjustly would keep the calm and keep the peace, that's what they were authorized to do. They just wanted you to roll along. Just don't rock the boat. Just don't fight us. Pay your taxes. Sure, you can fudge the numbers with the guy in Paragon, on this fine. Just don't cause a problem for me. Because the leaders, that's how they were gauged on if they were successful or not. But this city in Philippi was built in a very strategic location. And God established a church there for a very strategic reason. <clears throat> when we think about travel and commerce today, we think... Um, I work for a technology company, right? And so we have literally people working 24 hours a day around the clock. So when the sun lights up here, you know, 8 to 5 or whatever, you're working 9 to 5 gig, you leave for the day, there's somebody else logging in on the other side of the world, and their 8 to 5 is covering you with that. And there's constant coverage no matter what, because they want to make sure they're providing the best service they can. They're shipping containers. There are boats that are taking stuff from one country to another, that are building in one location and transporting them to another. My brother lives in New Zealand. He's lived there for several years. And everything that um, they buy there, almost all of it, because it's such a small nation, has to be imported. So the prices of everything are through the roof because they all have to ship it in. But they have the ability to do that. These massive cargo ships with these huge containers where uh, my brother-in-law works on the dock in, uh, outside of Long Beach, and he has these massive ropes that he takes on these ships over his shoulder, yeah, he's a big dude, and walks those things and ties up those massive ships onto the docks and helps them, uh, and helps guide them removing the shipping containers off. We think from a global perspective, because we, uh, did anyone think about how the road that we drove on today got there? 
No. It's been there. There's an infrastructure. There is a way for all of these things to happen right away. But when Rome had established itself as this big, massive, massive authority, this big, massive superpower, it needed to find a way to to um, connect these areas. And so one of the things that Rome did is go to our next line in our notes. The Roman Empire needed a way to travel and facilitate commerce between Rome and their farthest borders. So the Romans became very effective road makers. Road makers. They, most roads that they built were six meters, approximately six meters, and for all of us in the normal world who don't go by the metric system, our Canadian back here is shaking her head. But um, for all of us, uh, we're actually the odd man now, all of the world. Isn't that just like America? Like, y'all are going to do meters? <laughs> Not us. We're going to do feet and inches. Right? I have no problem doing that because the fan behind me is keeping me cool in this room. Um, so it was about 20 feet wide for all of us feet, inches, Americans, non-metric people. About 20 feet wide. And one of the more famous roads that they made was 700 miles long. There's no bulldozer. There's no heavy machinery. There's no bobcats to scrape up the ground or dig holes. There's no dump trucks to move in. The What they're going to use to pave the road, there's nothing. It's all done by hand or by hand. 700 miles. If you've ever had the joyous pleasure of driving from Phoenix to Los Angeles, that's half 350 miles. So imagine a bunch of people laying that out, finding the right way to bridge over water, to dig out rocks. Imagine laying a street that was 20 feet wide from here to LA and then back again at 700 miles. Stretched out in a giant line because they wanted to promote commerce. One of the, um, next time you notice, in the second century BC, a famous Roman roadway was constructed called the Ignatian Way. I'll spell that for you. E-G-N-A-T-I-A-N, Ignatian Way. It was actually referred to the as the Via Ignatia in the original language, but it's translated for us in English as the Ignatian Way. And it was developed, and so when I saw that name Ignatia, I went, you know, my southern redneck, you know, butter and butter and biscuits mind goes, that's so exotic. It's not like Bill Road or Bell Road, right? <laughs> or, or, you know, something like that. It's Ignatia, the Ignatia. I feel kind of like funny saying it, just like, ooh, I feel cultured all of a sudden, even though I'm you know, like wider than salt, right? And so I'm just like, like I just feel culture in this year. What does that mean? And I was looking into it, and I like doing that with words, and so I go to find out that it was a guy's last name. That's all I meant. The guy who built the road was a name, was a guy, um, his name was Naeus Ignatia. Naeus Ignatia. It's like Robert Bob, right? Like Naeus Ignatia, like really close. So they, because he oversaw the development of the road, they named it after him. 
It's like my truck has been worked on so much by Mike Harris, I'm gonna have to name it in my Harris Chevrolet, right? Because like it's breaking down. So that the guy who did all the work on it, mainly, has uh, they named it after him. So that's how it got the name in Way. They built these so stoutly that parts of that road that was that was literally developed twenty-three to twenty-four hundred years ago still exist today. Can you show me that first picture there, Jules? I'm going to show you a picture of you and put up on the screen for us. So this is how long the road was. Notice that um, across, uh, they, they, would, they would take a transport from the, the end of the boot there, Italy, the heel of the boot, across. And then they started building that road all the way to the other end. That is the handmade 700 mile, 20 feet wide road called the Ignatian Way, very famous in Roman history. And I want you to notice, well, we'll come back to that. Can you show me the next one, Jules, please? This is a stone that exists today with a sign on it that says the Ignatian, the Ignatian Way as a marker showing that it was built 200 years before Christ. Okay, the next one. This is actually a portion of the road that still exists today. Today. You can go there and walk that portion of the road today. Look at those oxidal stones that they place in between there. And for me, look, I don't build things very good at all. I tried once to put a, a four foot by ten foot path of brick in front of our home by myself. And it was a train wreck. You would think it's just a bunch of squares in the square, man. Nope. I didn't know anything about leveling out the dirt and having a tamper. I didn't even know what that was. But tampering was like an illegal activity from like, you know, finance. But I had to have a tamper that would smack the ground down and make it level. I didn't know anything. I didn't know about filling the cracks in the sand. Nothing. Me and his dad from a wheelchair had to come out there and do it himself. And he being able-bodied, 20 some years old, and he's in a wheelchair. He goes out there and makes the thing work. <clears throat> But I'm looking at this and going, man, look how flat that is. I'm looking at someone who's failed to build something just even a fraction of the size. You know, man, how in the world, how much time did it take to dig up the rocks, dig up the roots, dig up the dirt, dig up the, the stones that was under that ground? How, how much time did they waste when it rained and it washed away the work they did the day before? How much work did it take when you know some little kid came out there and would take the rocks in the middle of the night and throw them at his neighbor and they would come out the next day and be like, there were rocks here yesterday and now they're spread out everywhere. How much time did it take to do that? He spent a lot of time to make that road and it's so much effort today to be 20 feet wide and part of that ignition. It's amazing. You took the next picture. Look at that. They had to find a way to build the roadway across the water. We think today about bridges like, oh, the bridge is being repaired and I have to drive around. Or like all oh, the first world problems, right? These guys had to figure out without the machinery how to build that thing across the water and still lay those stones so it would hold travelers that have walked that for 2,300 years. Imagine that. 
massive, massive architectural Significant. Part of it, part of the engagement way today, they just started uh, looking at the specs of where the road went, and they decided, oh, even though that portion fell apart, we're going to still use it because it's still the best way to travel. And paved over, and you'll see a sign on the right, the Via Ignatia, that's a portion of the Ignatian way that's now being used as just a, a normal freeway, a normal road through the area. Because the path that they laid was the right way to go. 2300 years ago. It's amazing. Okay, I think there's one more picture. <clears throat> okay, it's the same one. Here's what I want to do. So, I want you to notice something. I'm going to walk over to the screen real fast. I know you probably can't see it from where you're sitting, but that is still happening. Notice where it is. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. Paul was traveling here. We read in Acts about God leading him down the right way. Paul was traveling here, came up from Israel and Jerusalem here, and tried to go off into Asia, but the Spirit of God said no, and he came up here and tried to go again. The Spirit of God said no, and he caught a ship, a one day's journey around here, and started to Philippi, a direction of God. Philippi is smack dab in the middle of the largest travel and commerce vehicle that the Roman Empire had built up until that time. God put them strategically in a place to have an impact no matter if you were traveling west or east. And if you were from the north or south and wanted to get something to the east, what did you do? You came down to the Ignatian Way because it was paved, it was open, it was frequently traveled, there were other people there, you weren't there just by yourself, the, the likelihood of being robbed was far less because now you're around, around other people. And so what happens? That the gospel of Jesus Christ is injected into one of the main arteries to travel all the way to Rome and all the way to Asia and every step in between. It is no accident that the Spirit of God shut the door for him to go to Asia. It is no accident that it happened twice. It is no accident that he had a dream that says, come over from Macedonia, which is the area they were in right at that moment, what it was referred to. It is no, it is no um accident that he was able to get on a ship and be in the right place in one day. It was no accident that he walked up on a bunch of women who were having a prayer meeting and Lydia and her entire household get saved and they start the church in Philippi. It is no accident that 10 years, 10 years after he initially visits and he's there for less than a few weeks, that church is growing and thriving and he is encouraging them and they are supporting him. Why? Because God put it in the exact right place to spread the gospel every which direction. One of the things has nothing to do with Philippians, but if you'll notice here, Thessalonians.
Thessalonica. Ever heard of the book of Thessalonians? Paul himself walked the Ignatian way when he traveled from Philippi to Thessalonica. And he wrote books and established churches for both of those areas because they were key injection points so that the people who were coming through would hear these people gathering together. They were living this life. They were singing songs of praise, uh, songs of praise and worship to God on the on the temple and the the, uh, the 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 steps of the synagogue. They were doing this publicly. They're inviting people to their home to have meals. They're settling these disputes. They're living the way Christian people are supposed to be living. And when people enter this city who they had no way to reach on their own, they had no way to wind up in those specific areas, they had no way to wind up in Asia or in Rome, they were just sitting there in Philippi able to do what? Inject the goodness of the gospel, the light of the gospel, the salt of the gospel. They were able to example and tell people, and what happened? People got saved and carried the gospel message they found in Philippi to the utter ends of the Roman Empire. God will put you in a specific place to do a specific job, to to carry out a specific assignment related to his purpose. Um, we have a nurse in our congregation. And I won't embarrass on this because the nurse has a job to do that the nurse does not like to do. The nurse does not like drawing blood. And you would think, why in the world would someone get into nursing? If they hated sticking people for drawing blood, that's a joke. <clears throat> so, but I went and asked our nurse, and I said, hey, what happens when you, in, when you inject someone or to draw blood or inject some type of medication into someone's arm? And they said, it always has to go in the needle. With a, with a very few exceptions, special cases, the needle has to be inserted. A certain way. Because if it's not, it can cause a rupture or a hemorrhage that will cause more problems than, than the initial poke that we're drawing to blood. This is why it's important when God says don't go this way and close the door, not to try to kick it open. Because if God closes the door and you try to find a way around it, you could be going in a direction that will cause more harm than good. If the author and finisher of our faith, the creator of everything that you have ever seen, including you, the author of your breath, and the, the balance of the air for you to breathe in oxygen and breathe out CO2. If that God gives you a closed door and says, go to this area and not this one, even though it may make sense in your mind to run off to Asia. It's a big old huge place. There's a whole bunch of people out here. I'm going to go out there where the, the need is the biggest. And God says, uh-uh, go to Philippi. It's important that you follow him because it might be the exact injection point 
to spread the gospel further than just doing it the way you want to do it. The Ignatian way connects to another major roadway established by another major country. This next line your notes. It connected to a, another road system called the Persian Royal Road. The Persian Royal Road is here. Paul did not need to go there. He needed to go to a higher place. That when he rejected the gospel in that area, it would flow places he wasn't interested in. There's three things as we wrap up this series that I just want to quickly bring our attention to. And Jules, you just leave that in that picture up there for me, and I'll come back to it later. Number one, you notice God will lead us to this specific place to accomplish His purpose. Next line Philippi was in the middle of the Ignatian Way and a frequent stop for many travelers. It's very important that we don't look at the Bible and think, oh, that was only for those guys during that time. The Spirit of God, yes, they did write it to those people at that time. But the principles that are at play here are things that we as Gentile believers in another nation two millennia later have to remember. God didn't just orchestrate Paul's step, Paul's steps in the Church of Philippi. He orchestrated it. Just let that marinate just for a second. Every step that you took in obedience to him, even the ones in disobedience to him, that you have since tried to reroute and correct by following him again, he knew every place you would be. He also knew that you would learn in those places so that you could inject the truth of the gospel at the next place. Every place you have a relationship is through sovereignty or providence of God designed for you to inject the gospel there. Matt, we don't have this you know, I don't know a lot of these people. I don't have 9 million people following me on Instagram. I don't have, you know, 10 million TikTok views. I don't have, you know, we're not speaking to like four and 5,000 people in this massive auditorium with this big old huge thing. I mean, what am I really supposed to do? You are an incision point with every area of influence you have. So, next time you know. The Lord directed you to RCC. He orchestrated you being in your career field. 
He knows who you have relationships with in life. You. You are the injection point of the gospel in the world. I thought I was supposed to bring them here and let you just pump them with the gospel when they walk in the door, like hit them real quick with a little shot of it, and then go back out there and be like, hey, that's close up. I'll take you to get some more next week. You can do that. We want you to come here. We want you to, we, part of what we're supposed to be doing is feeding you and equipping you to, that you can inject the gospel in your areas of influence. Matt, or the three people on the team, and we're all virtual. We inject the gospel there. Matt, I'm not working right now. I'm just with my family. Inject the gospel there. Uh, uh, Matt, I'm at home alone. I don't have any kids, and, and, and I'm not working right now. Okay, prep yourself, because you're not going to be sitting there forever, because as soon as you get to sit down and have coffee with your friend, inject the gospel there. They're a believer. Great. Y'all two get together and figure out where you can go. Ask the Lord to open you up the door so that you can go inject the gospel and the life of Christ and the healing message of salvation that comes through faith in Christ alone to somewhere else. That is your job. You are not randomly in some location. You're not randomly living in this city. You're not randomly born into a family. You're not randomly going to just some school. You are opening. You are you're following the open door and the leading of the Spirit of God. And the whole reason you are there is not just to make your paycheck for your job, not just to, to, to learn how to, to, to be a family with these certain pieces, uh, these certain people, excuse me, not just to go and learn your subject, be on a career field later. Your job is that wherever you go, ambassador of Christ, citizen of heaven, dispenser of grace, or the dispenser of the gospel of grace, you are supposed to be an incision point at every area of influence. I hate my job. Right. Go be an injection point of the gospel. I'm tired of these people. None of them are believers. Great. Poke them all. Get them one at a time. All at once. Who cares? I don't work with believers. Guess what? Uh, God may have put you there on purpose. To struggle to be alone and be by yourself and feel like I'm just alienated. No, the church, come to church. And then go back there and be in the injection point. Why? Our hearts must remain submitted to Christ so that what flows out of us correctly reflects our Savior. Matt, why in the world did you take the time to recap the main points and of the last 15 weeks of, of the series? Oh my gosh, it was terrible. It was just torturous to sit here and relive all that. I had to go back and write all these notes down, my hands cramping. Why in the world did you have me do that? Because we have to remember what flows out of us represents him. Why in the world are we supposed to remember? 
and not kick the door open and allow God to open it so that we're in the right investment. Why are we supposed to remember the commitment and we're voluntarily doing this for the Lord because when we get tired of it, we remember there's something bigger than us going on. Is um, not being uh, ashamed of the gospel. Why are we supposed to remember that God is working in the middle of difficult circumstances? Because we're at an ejection point. What comes out of us needs to be the hope of the gospel. Why in the world are we supposed to settle disputes? Why in the world is Paul taking the time to talk about the importance of companionship, about safeguarding your faith, about um, living in unity, about um, uh, understanding that God put us in the perfect place? Why in the world did he write an entire book that we took four months to go through? Why in the world did he do that? Because what comes out of you is representing the God that's inside of you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be without flaw. But there better be grace that flows out of you. Because the same grace that was given us, we need to give to other people. What are we injecting? Why in the world do we have scripture? Why do we pour over this every week? Why do we do that? So that we can take the goodness that's been put in us the purified, free from the, the debris teaching, and go out there and give them not our opinion, not what we wish to be true, not a culturally, the culturally diluted message of the gospel, but the purity of God's word at an exact incision point. Not all medicine that's given through the IV is immediate. It's faster than a pill. Faster than taking it some other way. But sometimes we give it and we wait for it to do its work. And that I've been telling these people about Jesus forever, good people. Um, you may, it may take multiple doses to cure what's ailing you. But then to understand, oh my goodness, if I would have just. Listen to what that person said. Had I just listened to what this believer in Christ had a relationship, had I just followed the direction that they're telling me is in this Bible, that may have turned out differently. We gotta make sure that not just the actions of our hands, because we can fool a lot of people. How do I know that? Six percent biblical worldview. But like 40 or 50 some percent claim to be Christians. What's that mean? A lot of people focusing on this. Not a lot of people focusing on this. This, all these little actions, will never change the heart. But the heart will change the actions. We've got to make sure that the heart that is inside of us is equipped because God's taking us to the right direction. We have dispensed the right thing. Next time you notice, what are we injecting to those in our sphere of influence? The fruit of our life is what others will sample. If we have roots in Christ, we will produce this. And the last one, point number three, for this week and this series. 
God will connect us to other people in avenues to continue the spread of the gospel. Remember what I said about the Ignatian Way? That it also connected to the Royal Road? I guarantee you the message of the gospel that was injected at Philippi made its way through the Royal Road. Why? Because it took the area of transport further south and some of the earliest, some of the earliest Christian archaeological artifacts are found in Egypt. So there is no way that the gospel that was injected there was stay put. It traveled and spread because God picked the exact right place. Last on your notes. The message of the gospel will continue long after we are gone. Our job is to inject the message of Christ in as many places as possible with the fruit thereof. Talk a lot of history, a lot of archaeology, a lot of geography. Why? Because um, God moves in every one of those places. You need to tell me that the job that he orchestrated me to do is a rejection point. Um, Matt, the job that you have spent years crying about, hating, not wanting to be in. Um, you know my, you know how many uh, Hindu people I have talked to about the gospel? And those Hindu people have went and out of their own mouth repeated the gospel to their children. How in the world is a steak and potato southern redneck guy going to wind up having the opportunity to talk to people who have been in the Oh, because God can't be rejection. Does that mean, oh, man, you were great? No, I hate it. Every bit of Didn't like it. Didn't want me there. Thank God not to love you anymore. Let me go somewhere to make a difference. And he's like, oh, I'm thinking somewhere to make a difference. That's why we got into people who are about his word and following his spirit. Because we're fulfilling his plan. Not ours. The great thing is, we need to partner with him. The great thing is he, he allows us to come in and experience fulfillment and gifts and and, and, and can put us in the in different places and the youth uh, who are in Seattle saw just a just such a wide variety this week of places they could be injection point, but using their gifts, using their, their talents, using their 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 um their giftings in a career minded way, not to make a whole bunch of money. I hope they all make a whole bunch of money and use that as good stewardships as the further the spread of the gospel. But more important than the money 
Is that true? 